0: On today's player pool, I address the Jonathan Taylor news from Indianapolis. I want to put myself in the minds of these NFL owners when they're talking about running backs. Then I briefly describe the difference between DFS and traditional fantasy football before going through all the wide receivers on FanDuel's main slate and discussing more in-depth the attributes of what makes a slate breaker, stud, value plus, and a good wide receiver matchup. Let's jump in. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne Welcome back, guys, to the Player Pool. I'm your host, Austin Raboyne. Make sure you're following us on Spotify and subscribed on Apple Podcasts. Got any questions about the Player Pool process, make sure I'm getting an email at theplayerpoolpodcast at gmail.com and we begin today's episode with some current events it's still the preseason and we are grasping for straws for any nfl related news we can get and the only nfl news we have today to discuss jonathan taylor big headline big graphics from adam schefter given permission to seek a trade with another team a couple things on this one I am just sad about the state of running backs in the NFL. We all have eyeballs. Obviously, there's a difference in who is playing that position. But because these owners, remember, these owners have been in the league. While a running back has one life, one career, that goes year one to 12, whatever. These owners have been in the league for decades. So, just like in life, where you don't necessarily recognize all the good you may have sometimes. Most people can instantly recall the bad. And I think in these owners meetings that they have where 32 rich, powerful, insanely influential, egotistical men meet as they're rubbing elbows over cocktails, talking about all the ways that they've been screwed in life to reach such a rough, rough position in this world. You know, they share the stories of when, uh, they paid Ezekiel Elliott too much money. They, Woody Johnson could say, I gave Le'Veon Bell so much money, he did nothing for me. Chris Johnson contracts. There are, over the decades, bad running back contracts. And I think what we're seeing in the timeline of things is enough owners have been burned where there is a likelihood that there is an effort to maybe lower the risk on those types of investments. The other thing that makes me sad, though, about this running back situation is I want stars and team figures to stay put as much as possible. I would like for the league to be spread out with talent and not just stacked on eight teams, kind of like the NBA. So I want Jonathan Taylor to be on the Colts for a lot of reasons. It'll be interesting. There'll be an offensive star on that team. Also, I think it's good for the health of that franchise to have that threat at running back running like crazy take some of the pressure off a rookie quarterback. I'd like to see some real running back careers still be able to go the, the distance and the length and not just be recycled after four years. And I think this group of running backs, Jonathan Taylor's a little bit more money, but the amount of money they're asking to jump up, you know, in the Saquon negotiations, it was made clear that the Giants position was 10 mil and Saquon's position was right around 15. Easily the star of the team, that brings people into the stadium. Man, we couldn't get him $15 million? We got tight ends who are still living off future potential, making four times that much money uh, over you know, twice, three times as many years as well. And then we come to the situation we have here, and we've had with Josh Jacobs, who now he's saying he's going to report finally, is these teams are saying, running backs, you're just not as valuable. But, but then when it's time for the running back to go find another team, be a trade his original team is asking for almost what a franchise quarterback trade would go for I mean the Colts have already come out today and said it'll be a package of picks including a first round well if he's first round valuable then he should be first round money valuable as well Jonathan Taylor's running back contract ranks 39th in the league at that position I think when he's approaching the table and asking just to be paid what he's worth, I think that's a pretty American idea. I think we all go to work and expect to be paid our value and what we're worth. Because in this situation, the same guy who's telling Jonathan Taylor, you're just not that valuable, is turning around and asking the rest of those guys in that room for a treasure chest in return for him. On the last episode, we covered the running back pricing on FanDuel, and i did my best to label how i viewed those players across all of our labels stud uh, slate breaker value value plus injured matchup plus you know negative matchup negative value keep sending questions to the player pool podcast at gmail.com because i'm reading them and i'm going to keep refining how i'm communicating this information to you a good suggestion i got was somebody said hey maybe go team by team and that way we can see them not just grouped up together, but how a whole team situation lays out. That's a great idea because I build my lineups that way. I get online. I go on Roto projected lineups page because it'll show you the depth chart, the players, and their FanDuel or DraftKings salary. Using a site like this is integral to building a player pool And I've been meaning to get to that after we got through the the player positions, but it came up and it made more sense. So I wanted to try to go through these teams now while looking at projected lineups. So without further ado, let's open it up and take a look at our options at wide receiver in week one. Picking wide receivers and making them into your player pool. As I mentioned in the first episode is you're going to be writing the most player names down. You're going to have two columns almost every week. It is a lot of information to go through. And if not for the player pool, I would be completely overwhelmed with all the options you're picking three wide receivers on FanDuel or if you're plugging them into the flex and there are a ton of options. And this is a great time to briefly talk about the difference here between daily fantasy sports and season long and everything like season long. Because the media and the information you digest as a traditional fantasy football player makes most of the board look viable, right? So you're listening to a a good fantasy football podcast that's solely focused on traditional fantasy football and they're going through the Carolina Panthers in the Atlanta Falcons and they are showing you how those players those receivers are usable and have a pathway to success so even though they're on your fantasy team you're not completely lost that's fine and dandy but in daily fantasy we're picking a new lineup every week we're not married to these guys and we don't have to be you know it's kind of like you're at Golden Corral your whole life and finally you're going up to like the very high skill steakhouse. Okay. So golden corral was traditional fantasy football where you just eat it all, eat it all, it's all usable. Let's do it. You go to the old steakhouse and you order the entree in the side, it's just a little plate of potatoes, right? Or a little, you know, some asparagus over that amazing steak. In DFS, we're just here to eat the steak. And Especially picking wide receivers, that's where you have to—you got to you gotta grow, I guess. Because I—I know every single one of you guys. If I gave you—if you were looking at this information now, the way I have it splayed out on my computer screen, with all these these rosters in front of me, you would say, "Well, what about this guy? What about that guy?" I would say, "Absolutely, probably contributes to actual football success. Maybe, uh, you know, sparks up for you in traditional fantasy." but terrible week-to-week bets to be making on in daily fantasy when the field is so sharp. So the eight teams I've identified as non-considerable for especially week one and probably beyond beyond, are uh, Carolina, Atlanta, and I know what you're going to say right there, Drake London! He's always priced above 6000 He's not catching good targets. He doesn't fit the mold at all. He's probably a great individual player, but the whole team system is bad for DFS. Uh, so Atlanta, Houston, Baltimore. So Baltimore has names that pop, but you got Odell Beckham Jr. that hasn't been fantasy relevant. He had a good run with the Rams there towards the end. Good football player, but not fantasy relevant. For a long time. You got Rashad Bateman. Next to him. Been sold to us a bunch. Never delivered. Then we also have Zay Flowers. Who is one of the sexy preseason hype rookies. I hope he's great. It would be awesome to see Lamar Jackson. Have a, a star wide receiver. And it, and it all works. I do have Zay Flowers as, as a potential value. Wide receiver pick for week one. He's priced at uh, 5.5. 5500 But that's. It and that's not a must. You can make them on your list, and if you need it for the last puzzle piece, fine. But uh, so, Baltimore wide receivers, I don't see it. New Orleans, except for Chris Olave. Chris Olave is probably a stud after week one. He's right there on the fence. So, I do like Olave. The rest of them, don't even try. Washington, I know what everyone's going to say, but you forgot Terry McLaurin. Just because he hasn't had a quarterback doesn't mean he's not usable. Wrong. There's way better guys to get at his price, below his price. You don't need to go Terry McLaurin. He's a great example of what negative value looks like when you're picking a wide receiver. So negative value is when you have an individual wide receiver who on his own is a stud. I agree that Terry McLaurin as a football player is a stud. But he's married to a team that is constantly in negative game scripts. So negative game scripts or game scripts is just how the game is going to go, right? So Washington, usually, you know, not high scoring, usually behind, but they start the game trying to grind it out. So they burn a lot of time doing that. Then they finally fall behind. And they never have a dude at quarterback who can get Terry get McLaurin efficient targets at all. Terry McLaurin's best DFS games, because he will put up good DFS scores a few times a year, come when he makes those Megatron-like catches over a defensive back. So he's a terrible bet. He's the only one that would make a list out of the Washington wide receiver core. And if he makes your list, you better put down negative value. Two other teams I find zero use for, Arizona and New England. I don't feel like I need to say too much. I don't think there's a quarterback on either of those rosters. So The first team we'll start with will be the Bengals. And number one here, we have Jamar Chase. Price at 8.5. As I mentioned in the last podcast, when you're dealing with slate breakers like Jamar Chase, when you're trying to determine if their price matches up with their value and if it's a good pick, you need to do their price times 2.5, 2.5. So on this one... With that price, it's asking Jamar Chase to get 21.25 fantasy points. Very, very doable. And let's talk now about what makes a slate-breaking running back. And it's a concoction of all these things. So, number one, elite volume. And volume here is not receptions. It's targets. Because targets captures the whole picture of the opportunity given to that wide receiver and speaks more to the team's intent and the quarterback's intent towards that player. So when evaluating volume, you look at targets only. So a slate-breaking wide receiver has elite volume. They have good QB play. I call this the Kirk Cousins line. So Kirk Cousins is able to feed a slate breaker in Justin Jefferson. They need to be a quarterback of that value to check this part of the box. So they need a good to elite quarterback. The next few attributes all involve knowing the wide receiver's history. So number one, can they break the slate? Look at their history. Have they done it before at a reasonable enough clip four to six times in a season? That makes them a slate breaker. Don't let that line of thinking trail you off to thinking, oh, it's just game log research. No, the reason I say there has to be history of them breaking the slate that many times is because the ownership value is going to coincide with that player regardless of all these other variables. The main point about never letting a slate breaker be outside your lineup if you can help it is because if they were to break that slate that week, it doesn't matter what the rest of your lineups doing. You're going to miss the ride up with the group of players that are always playing these guys they're notorious they're always going to be favorites they'll always be played to enough degree that if you don't have them you're outside the money the history of that wide receiver is also going to show that they're matchup proof so these are guys that the defensive coordinator spends all week game planning on how can they contain them you know star defensive backs cornerbacks are placed on these guys and there's history of that not mattering you need to see that they're matchup proof slate breakers are not affected by negative game script does not matter if they're up or down these are the guys through their volume get plenty of opportunity to do their damage regardless of how the game is going so that is what makes a slate breaker Jamar chase obviously a slate breaker Next, we have T. Higgins. I've viewed him for the last year only as a stud. However, he's oftentimes negative value because they're trying to make him one a, one b in the pricing. For week one, he is eleven hundred less than jamar chase. you're you're asking him, to do 14.8 points back on a on a two times value scale and remember that value scale is minimum you are asking the floor of that player is it a given you feel stiffly strongly about that so it's tough with T Higgins he's obviously not the number 1 on the Bengals he's always priced pretty aggressively and it's a player that I'll put in my player pool but unless I'm feeling ultra-aggressive about a Bengal stack with Joe Burrow, I rarely play Higgins over Chase. I rarely play Chase and Higgins together. So for me, T. Higgins is a stud wide receiver. Now, what makes a stud wide receiver? A stud wide receiver on his team still has overwhelming volume compared to the rest of the guys in his position group. A stud wide receiver could have overwhelming volume or a solid floor volume, five, six targets, plus a good to great quarterback. Now, they also have to have good value, and that's why, for me, I can recognize T. Higgins as a stud, but his price is always so aggressive. I think he has bad value because of Jamar Chase over him. So that's why he makes my player pool as a stud, just not a guy that I'm actively trying to get to. Last one on the Bengals to take a look at is Tyler Boyd. He probably makes your player pool only because it's a 5.4, 5,400 price for him. He does not have enough fixed volume to be a value play that you would target. But sometimes those guys that make your lineup last should still make your player, player pool just so when you're grasping for that one last salary fix, you have your guy. It's usually when this player, your last plug-in, gets that 80-yard touchdown is when you win thousands of dollars. So I'll always say good football players who don't get good opportunity, you can list them as value if their price is in the basement and put them on your list, but maybe don't highlight them as a preferred unless opportunity opens up elsewhere. All right, moving on to the Browns. We have Amari Cooper first. Uh, It's still kind of a wait-and-see for me on the Browns wide receivers. I expect Deshaun Watson to be better than he played last year, but it was hard to see fixed volume anywhere across the board. I think Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, they are good runback candidates in this game for week one. So runback candidates is a topic we'll cover when we cover stacks and game stacks down the line. But just briefly, that's when you're running a game stack with a quarterback and one or two of his players. And then you run it back with the opposite team's wide receiver that makes sense salary wise and opportunity wise. That is to capture a, a quick back and forth game where, if the, for instance, Amari Cooper scores a touch a quick touchdown, you benefit off those points, but you're also benefiting by having Joe Burrow and his offense getting the ball back quick and sooner. So running back wide receivers are a big part uh, of the player pool process. We'll cover it later, but for this purpose, I just I don't see great value in any of these wide receivers they're all just guys maybe throw them in your lineup again as last plug and plays I don't see any of them as preferred moving on to the Jaguars so we have the Jaguars are a case where you know two and a half of their receivers by name and reputation and then let's not forget Evan Ingram kind of sitting there at the bottom taking targets as well so I think the Jaguars, though, are good, another good example of negative value stud wide receivers. Calvin Calvin Ridley, uh, before he fell in love with DFS like myself, actually, I don't know if he was doing that or setting game parlays, but he was a stud on the Falcons. Christian Kirk last year, stud. Uh, he would The only time I didn't use Kirk, Christian Kirk last year is when his uh, price just got a little too hefty for the amount of volume he was getting. These are both really good players, but they're going to eat each other in terms of volume, more than likely. It's a big wait and see. And their prices are pretty aggressive like their studs already. So I think the stud wide receivers, if we see the volume go more in Ridley's favor or more in Kirk's favor, maybe we start you know, picking one over the other. But I honestly think it's the best bet to avoid these guys completely until unfortunately like an injury would open one up. That's the only time I see them being a priority i just don't see it i don't see how with this many mouths to feed on the jaguars offense there's a good play on this team outside of maybe if evan ingram's you know price slips down now we're talking quarterbacks and tight ends but and maybe t law gets used naked but i don't i don't see ridley or kirk's prices really making sense for how high they are uh then we go over to the to the uh, colts uh oops probably should have made my list of unusables you got michael pittman He's a favorite uh, of the fantasy football touts to sell to you to say, look at the volume, look at the amount of catches. Cause he gets, he gets high. He gets, he's one of those players that has one of the attributes we mentioned about stud and, and slate breaking wide receivers. He gets overwhelming volume on his team compared to the next guy. And it's fixed. It's consistent, which gives him value. But now we got a quarterback who we've only seen throw the football in an NFL setting a few times. So, you just have no idea what the quality of those targets are going to be, so big wait and see. But keep your eye on Michael Pittman. If Anthony Richardson shows that he can pump him with eight quality targets a game, he probably rises to the level of low end stud uh, as long as his va- as long as his price at, at you know sixty six hundred makes sense. Keeping it moving, another one A one B situation, kind of like Jacksonville has. Uh, we have God Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, so. Chris Godwin is 6,800. Mike Evans is 6,500. They both have qualities of slate breaking and stud wide receiver, but what is throwing everybody off? Some quarterback named Tom Brady isn't there anymore. So now everyone's assuming whatever is thrown at them by the next quarterback is going to be trash. Inner Baker Mayfield. I will say Baker Mayfield can put the ball in places where great receivers can still make catches. Mike Evans started his college career with Johnny frickin' Manziel. So I have faith that at 6.5, Mike Evans, to me, is actually a very good value play for Week 1 as we see what else they could do. So Mike Evans has fixed volume, at worst fixed volume, if not overwhelming volume, depending on how the game goes. Uh, I think his style of play fits better with Mayfield. He's not so dependent on quick cuts and tight windows to to get the ball like Godwin is. Uh, Evans is he's just going to dominate his defender. So he still has it till he proves otherwise. Same thing we say about Derrick Henry. Uh, And at 6,500, that's the lowest I've ever seen his price since he's been relevant. He's been relevant for nine years. So Mike Evans definitely a volume. I'm sorry, a value wide receiver week one. Chris Godwin's a little different, and I just believe his skill set does not suit Mayfield as well. It just requires a more precise, better quarterback. So, probably a wait and see, just not worth the 6,800 price um, in such an unknown. But Mike Evans can definitely make the player pool at 6,500 as a value play. On to the Minnesota Vikings with the standard of what a good but not great quarterback is Kirk Cousins. So number one here, the number one receiver in football, Justin Jefferson, can he make that 9,500 price? Makes sense. I would tell you that him scoring 23 and uh, 23.75 fantasy points is very doable. Basically, as you make your lineups every week, he's got to be in one. It just doesn't matter. Uh, he's a slate breaker. Does not matter if Daryl Revis comes back and puts him on an island. I believe Justin Jefferson is matchup proof. Um, He's the definition of slate breaker. Now this one's interesting. So the Vikings have always used their X receiver with Justin Jefferson, but never their, but never their counterpart wide receiver two on the other side. And if I was really a football guy, I would know what the letter of that receiver is, (laughs) but they, they never use the other guy across the field, but they'd always target their slot guy. Now, what happened last year, if you were a big Adam Thielen thumper like I had been, is all those very nice slot route catches just evaporated on Thielen. Some could say Thielen fell off, but I'm going to say TJ Hawkinson got traded to the Vikings and damn near led the league and tight end targets the rest of the year. So with the wide receivers, KJ Osborne, he could splash. He showed it last year. He had big plays. This Jordan Addison, who they uh, who they drafted early in the draft, and uh, you know we all know at least when he's on the road he likes to go fast. I think he's a burner. So tight tight eyes on KJ Osborne and Jordan Addison to see if they fill that slot role, and TJ Hawkinson maybe takes a step back. We don't know. And can Kirk Cousins support that many pass catchers outside of Jefferson in fantasy? Uh, I would lean to probably not. So the rest of the Vikings receivers, just a big wait and see. But look close. And if KJ Osborne comes out because he's been there longer and is overwhelmingly playing over uh, the snapshares over Addison, KJ Osborne, especially under 5,500, he's at 5,100. Yeah, value play. Um, Really good value play. Moving on. The only thing that kept the Tennessee Titans off my – Um, Not considerable wide receivers list was, of course, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins used to be a slate breaker years ago, but with time, he's come down to stud level because he's still on this team is going to have overwhelming targets compared to the wide receiver two, wide receiver three. They may not be pretty, but I could see DeAndre Hopkins still living in elite Volume levels of nine targets and up. Elite volume that slate breakers have is nine and up. And while I don't think DeAndre Hopkins can really go the distance and make all those catches count, like he's never been a good yards after catch player, he's going to get so many targets that as long as his price stays reasonable, which is at 7,500, which is I think a solid stud price, um, he, he's very considerable you know, week one, he's not playing with a young quarterback. He's playing with a professional Tannehill has been in the league long enough to at least feed this team. This, I think this game might be the first one done on this day. Uh, It has a noon start and it's got two run centric teams playing each other. It's very low scoring, but DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to make sense to you because he's just, he's just going to choke you out with how many targets he can stuff down your throat. So he makes your player pool. He's a stud. Nobody else on the team is considerable at the wide receiver position. If DeAndre Hopkins Hopkins gets hurt week one, this team enters uh, the nothing zone, the, the Bermuda Triangle of wide receivers. I don't care if Traylon Bur- Burks comes back or not. It's, it's a bet you don't need to make. DeAndre Hopkins keeps the Titans wide receiver core relevant alone by himself. I already mentioned the Saints, and I already said how Chris Olave to me, is the only considerable wide receiver. I think he's a stud. He was pretty much in the stud room last year. The quarterback play was just so inconsistent. Just like Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr is a professional. He's been in the league long enough. He can feed. He can make guys relevant. Uh, I think Chris Olave is going to be great. And he is facing a matchup plus going against the Tennessee Titans. So I've had this question a lot too. What makes a good matchup? How do you read good matchups? So I would first would say what not to do. I would say don't overread the total points for daily fantasy. Don't over like look at the team or the game total, points or the over under to assess, you know, how electric the game can be. What I would say is for good matchups, you need to seek out all the pass funnel defenses. Austin What are pass-funnel defenses? I'll tell you. Pass-funnel defenses are teams that are simultaneously soft against the pass, but stout against the run. The difference between crappy defense you can target and a pass-funnel defense is the funnel defense gives the opposing team one clear option on how to beat them. So there's going to be a focus in an intent to pass more than usual when, they, when you play a team that's got a pass-funnel defense. If it's just a crappy team with a crappy defense, the opposing offense is going to come in and thrash them however they feel like. They're going to thrash them on the run. They're going to thrash them through the air. Pass-funnel defenses actually is a tell to you what the offense is going to do coming into the game. So some examples of pass-funnel defenses from last year are actually good teams, and good defenses. So the Tennessee Titans were the number one pass-funnel defense last year. They gave up a league-best 77 yards rushing per game. But they also gave up a league-worst 274.8 pass-yards per game. You, do you see the teeter-totter that we're trying to find? Baltimore's another one. They were the second-best pass-funnel defense to target last year. In my opinion, they gave up 92 rush yards a game, but 232 uh, pass yards per game. The Bengals gave up 106 rush yards, but 229 through the air. Now they were great at takeaways in the red zone, so they only gave up about 20 points per game. But on a yardage basis, at least you could find success against them. You know, with with good wide receiver DFS picks. Uh, just a couple more here, just to highlight again what a pass funnel defense is. The 49ers. Uh, they gave up uh, just a little over what the Titans gave up on the ground last year, 77.7. 7. Uh, but they they still allowed a, a league average 222 through the air. Uh, so the, the 49ers is a perfect example of pass funnel where you could find the edge because it while you would avoid them on a defensive level for the most part, it can at least show you again, you're gonna get more targets out. Uh, another pass funnel defense. Last year was Miami, 103 rush on the ground, but 234 through the air. So you get my point. Chris Olave is the least problematic wide receiver over Michael Thomas with no health concerns to speak of, with an upgraded quarterback, playing a pass funnel defense at home. I think he's a solid stud for week one. Next team we have is the 49ers, starting with Debo Samuel. Just 7,000 on FanDuel, meaning you only need 14 for that to make sense. The problem with Debo and what he is a great example of is how you can have a mixture of all these attributes that can define you as a stud or slate breaker, but not quite have all of them enough to make sense and be anything but negative value. So Debo Samuel, he is matchup proof. We've seen him light up any team. He's got a great history of doing it. He is usually fairly owned because he's so popular. And his name's Debo, for crying out loud. He's also game script proof. Whether it's running or passing, Debo's in the mix. The problem with Debo and what makes him such a boomer bus, high-risk play in a bet that I usually do not entertain is he lacks elite or overwhelming volume over anybody else on his team, he lacks good quarterback play. I don't think Brock Purdy or Trey Lance or a mixture of the two rides above that Kirk Cousins level. So Debo's a good example where he can splash on your page, but when you're asking yourself, can he reliably get you that two times value? The answer is no. So As a football player, he's a stud. As a DFS option, to me, normally negative value. Next, you have Brandon Ayuk. Again, not a guy who really makes my player pool. He is touted out there as up-and-coming, always doing good, Uh, even when he was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse, was it a year ago? Maybe two. He's always presented as he's just getting better. He's got great rapport. We heard uh, before Trey Lance got hurt, he had great rapport with Trey Lance. They're just trying to sell him him to you. Um, He doesn't show it. He doesn't show fixed volume. Uh, Fixed volume is what makes a value-wide receiver. It's at least got to be somewhat reliable in that five to six range, and he just doesn't have it. So, Ayuk rarely, if ever, makes my player pool. The rest on the 49ers, uh, John Jennings, Ray Ray McLeod, not considerable. Let's keep it moving to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Things changed last year. No more Big Ben, one of my all-time favorite quarterbacks, uh, players. He's gone. It's a sign of the times. I'm getting old. But Deontay Johnson with Big Ben had elite volume. In comes Kenny Pickett, big learning curve year. And all of the Steelers wide receivers became super volatile. Now, we know my boy George Pickens is also on this team, and I still love his highlight tape and now they're saying he's got more talent than justin jefferson i don't know it's all a big wait and see this year uh you got pickens priced at 5.8 that's a good value i think if you're doing some sort of game stack with the 49ers deontay johnson i mean all the talent it's just a lot of mouths defeated with the with the steelers with fryer too to a tight end eating things up so probably a big old wait and see and see how it comes out don't be afraid to play George Pickens in there, though, as a value play. Assuming he gets the fixed volume of you know at least five targets, that's what you're hoping for. He's going to have a positive game script. you got to imagine 49ers will lead the game, so Steelers may be needing to pass, although maybe it doesn't happen early in the game. It could take a while for the 49ers you know, run focused offense to get their lead up, but that's what eventually happens. But I guess if you view uh, a positive game script for George Pickens, and you view Kenny Pickett as an improving and solid quarterback, that can make it all make sense. Pickens could make your make your lineup. There's better options at 6,400, uh, which is where Deontay Johnson is priced. Uh, so I, I think it's a big wait and see for Johnson. Play Pickens if you're feeling bad. Uh, moving on here, let's see the next game. Cardinals, Commanders, we don't need to talk about that anymore. Are the Washington Commanders still called the Commanders? Figure it out. Okay. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers, Chicago Bears game. This will be interesting. Uh, so we only have one of these this year, a new quarterback taking the reins, but he's on that Philip Rivers, dare I say Aaron Rodgers, come up track of waiting a very long time, three years, in fact. So Jordan Love, he's been in the pros long enough. It's not going to be a big shock like jumping in a, you know, a cold pool. For him, you would think, uh, with his first legitimate NFL start. I think he's got some definite next-year stud wide receivers on his team. Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. they are both. I, their prices reflect the unsurety surrounding L- Jordan Love. Uh, so Christian Watson, to me, is a borderline stud wide receiver. Uh, I think he gets overwhelming volume when he's on the field and healthy. The the volume he gets is a solid amount of floor, but you're just you gotta hope that he's got a good QB throwing him the ball because he's a great value at 6,300. Uh, so if you're feeling risky, this will be a very popular game. I think this game will be over owned in DFS context purely because of Fields' presence and and just the newness with the Packers. Um, but Christian Watson, he'll make my player pool. He may make my preferreds. Romeo Dobbs, 5,300. Maybe makes my list just as a last plug-and-play because we all know we're playing a lot of Justin Fields week one. So I'll have a Fields lineup. Maybe Dobbs comes as a nice run back wide receiver. Uh, But I think Watson and Dobbs, their prices make them values. You just really hope when you pick them, you are betting that Jordan Love is already close to that Kirk Cousins level. Uh, Flipping over to the Bears. Newcomer on the team, DJ Moore. Is DJ Moore a stud wide receiver? Was he a stud wide receiver on the Panthers? So my answer to that would be no, although he was close. He got touted as being a stud all the time, and he would normally fit the value models in any lineup generator you would pick. He would always be uh, pushed out there as an option. He gave up that mantle and handed it to Drake London. So now with the Bears, I think it's a big wait and see, although I do think, as a football player, D.J. Moore was able to shine in a very dark place over there in Carolina with all the quarterbacks and mayhem they had over there. He's also only 6,300. So at worst, he is definitely a value-wide receiver. What makes a value-wide receiver, again, fixed volume, positive game script, Solid quarterback. Uh, We got solid quarterback. We're being told Justin Fields can throw. Picking these wide receivers in this Packers-Bears game is going to be very similar uh, lines of thinking in bets. You're betting on the quarterback's throwing being better than expected. I do like DJ Moore, though, at 6,300. The rest underneath them, all throwaways. Darnell Mooney, who knows? Chase Claypool, uh, uh, Equinamius St. Brown. That's right. I could pronounce that. Nothing to worry about with the rest of the the Bears wide receivers. Keep them out of your player pool. Moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders. We got a fun one. Devontae Adams, who I think pound for pound is the best wide receiver in the league. Now he's suffering because he's missing some of those things that makes you a slate breaking wide receiver, right? The quarterback play. Everyone's already assuming Jimmy Garoppolo is out for the season, but the quarterback play is questionable, but the rest is locked. The Raiders defense was willy nilly with scores last year. So the game script, you know, they're not going to be logged down with a slow playing run based game that slows the game down. They're going to get their 60 offensive plays in. So doesn't matter to me. Devonte Adams is still a slate breaker. He puts up elite elite volume, I think we're kind of circling uh, the funeral around him as a fantasy player just like we did Derrick Henry two years ago because the quarterback situation just looks so bad now in Las Vegas. But I want to remind you that last year when Josh McDaniels had had enough and started plugging in his system guys to run his system with Jarrett Stidham, Devontae Adams still had – to finish the month of the season, the last month of the season. 9 targets, 9 targets, 11 and 9 targets. In the 11 target game, he went for 7 catches, 153 yards, two touchdowns. Damn near broke the slate with 30 fantasy points. DeVonte Adams is the only wide receiver in the league that is both matchup proof and quarterback proof. He does have Jimmy Garoppolo for now. Jimmy's Jimmy's a pro. He's going to get him decent to good quality targets. And who knows, this Aiden O'Connell sent behind him sounds like the next coming of Brett Favre. So Devontae Adams is still in his prime as a football player. He is clearly the number one on in Las Vegas. There's not even Darren Waller anymore to eat up targets, and they have given up on Hunter Renfro. So it's all Devontae Adams. I expect him to get elite volume, nine-plus targets. Quarterback play should be average, and he's matchup-proof with a Huge history of dominating the slate. Out of all the slate-breaking wide receivers week one, expect Devontae Adams to be the least owned. After Devontae, you got Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is listed as the wide receiver three on Roto Grinders. I think that's just out of respect for what he did two years ago because zero interest in him on that team now under Josh McDaniels. Which is weird because you think he's like Julian Edelman and how McDaniels had that going on with the Patriots. But for whatever reason, completely fell off the cliff this year. Unless there was some injury that just was not being accurately reported on. I don't know. It seems like they left for info for dead. Uh, Jacoby Myers, he was a dead-end option on the Patriots last year. And he is now as well. Now we have Sean Payton's Denver Broncos. So, on paper, good, talented wide receivers. Jerry Judy, he was a low-end stud, I thought, last year, but inconsistent. Never a player. Well, it was easy not to play the Denver Broncos wide receivers last year. I think that's what makes him a big wait-and-see this year. I'm a huge believer in Sean Payton. I think his system program, the way he does things, will force either Russell Wilson's early retirement Or this team to do better on offense. Uh, It's more likely that the latter is going to happen here. So uh, Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton, potential to be absolute studs. But you got to wait and see how this all divvies out. It wouldn't surprise me if it's worth watching Judy and Sutton. Their prices maybe will stay where they're at but go down. um, And then for them to just catch on as the system starts taking place uh, later in the season. So watch for them to slowly improve. Don't be afraid to play, especially Jerry Judy. Showed good rapport last year with Russell Wilson. I would say he had uh, he did not have elite volume, but he had overwhelming volume uh, in comparison to the rest of the team. Uh, he had lower body issues last year uh, and, and injuries, a high ankle sprain that slowed him down. But he still had his weeks where, when his price is down, dip below sixty five hundred. You know he you might get a stud wide receiver fill in for a value wide receiver price. Uh, so again, overwhelming volume. I would, I would say he definitely has solid floor volume. I mean, a game if if he goes a game and doesn't get six targets, that should raise some eyebrows. Russell Wilson, for all the weirdness, he's still a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. You gotta accept that. You're believing in other quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins, and I know I have at least half a belief in Jimmy Garoppolo. Brock Purdy played a few games in a in a system last year that makes every quarterback look good. People are believing on him. You can't take all these guys if you're not going to take Russell Wilson as well. So uh, Russ Russ can still cook to some degree. Uh, it may just not be a gourmet meal anymore, but he'll make Judy relevant. He may make something relevant. Keep your eyes on him. Uh, they're big wait and sees, potential stud values down the road. Next up, we have the nuclear bomb show that is the Miami Dolphins wide receivers. Aye, aye, aye. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle. Tiger Hill, definition of slate-breaking wide receiver the last six years, uh, maybe plus, as long as he's been in the league, damn near. So he has a very big price, $8,800. Uh, You've got to make sure that value makes sense, but he's got to be played uh, every week to some degree, or you know you can pay that price. What I found last year is I think Jalen Wall is a stud, high-end stud, and if Tyreek Hill were not on this team, he'd be a slate breaker by now, probably. The reason last year I always found myself on Tyreek Hill, which paying you know premium price is tough. That makes lineup building tougher. But I was always playing Tyreek Hill over Jalen Waddle because what's the difference between studs and slate breaking wide receivers? That ownership. And Tyreek Hill is just more popular than Jalen Waddle. So Jalen Waddle you know he could be there, uh, with some decent ownership, eight to ten percent. But you better believe Tyree Kill was twenty percent owned almost every week last year. So uh, that's kind of how I divvy these two wide receivers up. It's brutal though. This team gives me headaches. Uh, Would have given me a stiffer headache if Dalvin Cook had gone there, as I I had mentioned before. But thank God that didn't happen. Uh, maybe Jonathan Taylor can talk the Miami Dolphins owner into into making a, a treasure chest deal. But for now, Miami Dolphins. It's a it's a Two-horse show, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, slate breaker, high-end stud. The rest uh, don't need to be considered at all, and their prices reflect that. Then we got the Chargers, another favorite game. This is a favorite game stack of mine. Uh, I always run Herbert stacks with these wide receivers. Now the emergence of Quentin Johnson complicates things. And when I saw this draft pick, the first thought I had was, why'd you have to go do that? Because they already had Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton on this team. Which could sometimes throw a wrench into any Chargers game stacks that I would be playing. But here we are now. This is probably the only team in the NFL that I think has viably five wide receivers on the depth chart. Uh, But Keenan Allen, another older player. People are waiting to fall off. I still say let the guy fall off before you show up to the funeral. But whatever. Whatever. Uh, Keenan Allen, he's in the slot. He can make. He's gonna get his targets. He's the safety blanket for Herbert. Has been all of Herbert's career. He's a stud wide receiver. I, he doesn't necessarily get overwhelming volume, but the combination of higher in volume, seven targets ish a game, eight ish a game, um, is fixed. So that satisfies that. Satisfies that. He's got a solid floor. He's got a great quarterback. Normally, he's good value. Although, eight thousand is pretty stiff for him. His yards after catch has never been high. He's a possession receiver at heart. So 8,000 is pretty stiff. The value may not be there for you, uh, but Keenan Allen, stud. Next up is Mike Williams, who as a football player is a stud, but as a DFS player is a heart attack. Mike Williams, yes, he can be marked down as a stud in your lineup, but his targets, his, his volume floor is terrifying. What you read down his game log in 13 games last year with, mind you, some of these games coming with Keenan Allen being out, which means he should have gotten more targets, uh, but did not. So the good last year of Mike Williams was, you know, 10 targets, nine targets, 13, 11 targets, 10. Yay. The bad with Mike Williams last year was games with four targets, one target, ah, four targets, five targets. uh! and not going for touchdowns or yards either. So another guy who just gets stenciled into the player pool, but unless you're doing an aggressive Herbert stack uh, or a last fill in to run back on, on an opponent's stack, Mike Williams doesn't get in there for me often negative value receiver with stud ability. And the last game we have Eagles versus Patriots already spoken about new England's wide receivers. Uh, I know Juju Smith can make some great TikToks, but leave him alone. Let's go over to the Eagles wide receivers. Just two that you really need to keep your eyes on. Let's start with Devontae Smith. Uh, he is a stud wide receiver, although I think he misses the overwhelming uh, volume aspect. Uh, I say I would say more he has a fixed volume of about four to five targets. Um, the solid floor volume that a stud wide receiver would have isn't necessarily there usually. I mean, he has had games where that, that goes up, but the solid floor sometimes for him can be four four targets, which is is brutal. So you're really depending on those targets being efficient. But he's got a great quarterback throwing to him. Normally he's at good value. Usually he's you know in the 6,800 range to start the year. They're having him at 72 because they want you to make a decision. Uh, so stud wide receiver would like to see some increased targets but this is a team that doesn't throw often and their wide receiver one who we're about to talk about doesn't get a lot of targets either aj brown he is the only wide receiver in the league to me that straddles the line between stud and slate breaker he does not have elite volume in games last year for every game he had eight targets, eight targets, ten, nine, sixteen. He had games of six, six, four, six, six. So it's tough to say he's a slate breaker because the volume isn't there. However, what he does with those targets is aggressive. He's got the elite quarterback play. He is matchup proof. The game script is not necessarily always going to be in his favor because this team. This Eagles team can thump people, and I expect them to thump people again this year, and they can run it to death. But A.J. Brown always because He's so likable. Always carries solid ownership like a slate breaker would, and he's done it. I mean, he has done the slate breaker gig before. Last year, he definitely took it at least once, 36.6 points uh, against Pittsburgh in October. That broke the slate, I remember. He posted some other high 20-point games uh, which were super helpful. He's always floating around 8K. So that's what makes him tough to play as well. Uh, you're expecting a lot out of him. But he he's a guy, he's definitely a stud. He's got uh, fixed volume with a great floor. Uh, the value is always a little edgy there. But you know you're getting something, something by playing him. He's on the fence. The only guy in the league that is a borderline slate breaker. But he's a stud. AJ Brown. And that'll do it for wide receivers in the week one FanDuel main slate. Hey, folks, I think we just made a new podcast record for how long the show has been. If you are still hanging around with us, just know that you are near and dear to our hearts. Please, any questions, any clarifications that you need at all, send them in to the player pool podcast at Gmail and we will get to them in the show. If you haven't already, Follow us on Spotify and Apple Music. It's how I feed my family. But really, just do it. It makes it makes it more fun. I mean, I want to be there when you wake up in the morning. I want to be there with that notification that says, I'm ready for you. So follow and subscribe. Friday, we're talking quarterbacks and tight ends. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Player Pool Pods.